0: Hold on, it's coming. Hold on, it's coming. With the words to that song in mind, turn your eyes upon Jesus. I want you to open your copy of the scripture to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 18. I want to read these two verses. that directly quote the words of Jesus to one of his greatest servants, one of his greatest soldiers, one of his greatest warriors, one of his greatest spokesmen. Acts chapter 18, verse 9. And the Lord, the Lord Jesus, said to Paul in the night by a vision. Do not be afraid any longer, but go on speaking and do not be silent, for I am with you, and no man will attack you in order to harm you, for I have many people in this city. And he, Paul, settled there a year and six months, teaching the Word of God among them. Corinth, the Greek Roman city, Corinth is the location for these words. Corinth was known in the ancient world as one of the most Wicked, if we can use that word, cities, in all of the known world. Many different gods, goddesses, a background that reached pre-Greece all the way into the Roman time. It was located on a strip of land that had bodies of water on both sides meaning that it was a very valuable, very wealthy trade corridor, located on a very valuable trade corridor. It was famous primarily for this one religious reality. When the Greeks were in charge of Corinth, they built three temples to the fertility goddess, the goddess of sex, named Aphrodite in their pantheon of gods. When the Romans took over, they picked up their goddess's name in place of Aphrodite. It was the name Venus, but the goddess of sexual pleasure, the goddess of fertility, and they were located not just in the days of Paul when he visited Corinth, but in the days centuries before in the Greek years. It was known as a place where there were a thousand temple prostitutes paid by the temple to service the men and women who would come to worship Aphrodite or worship Venus. It, it It was beyond the reach of what would be common or normal even in a secular culture. Pleasure was the aim principle was out the window by the second by the end of the second century AD it had become one of the wealthiest cities on the face of the earth it rivaled in Paul's day Rome and Alexandria among the three most populous cities Can I read this verse again? I'm talking to some folks today. The odds against you are absolutely impossible. The opportunity maybe before you is overwhelming. The size of the opposition and even the measure of the opportunity can come upon you at times and in ways such that fear, fear of the opposition, fear of failing the opportunity can shut you down. There is a word, I believe, from the heart of the Lord to His people today. Ones in specific assignments facing overwhelming odds or facing an opportunity that is absolutely daunting. He says this, we put our names in the place of Paul and the Lord said to us, do not be afraid any longer, but go on speaking and do not be silent for I am with you And no man will attack you in order to harm you, for I have many people in the city. Those people whom the Lord would say belonged to him didn't even know the name Jesus at the time that this word was spoken by Jesus to Paul. Many of them had absolutely no background in the Judeo history of Abraham, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They were completely out there, living their own lives, caught up in the culture around them, worshiping who knows what, <laughs> and yet... The Lord Jesus Christ says to his assigned messenger into that city, don't you stop speaking. Don't you stop declaring who I am, for I have many people in this city. Your family line may be marked by pagans. Your company may be known for its lack of morality. Pick whatever spot it may be that identifies your assignment. Hear the word of the Lord. He has put you there because he intends to bless you being there. What you can't see, God sees. He knows the end from the beginning. Do I have a witness? Because He is God and we are not fear based upon what we can see and hear and what our minds would think. Fear can come to dominate. Fear can come like with Paul. Even Paul, writer of two-thirds of your New Testament, Fearless in so many ways. Bold and daring and enduring so much persecution against himself. Even Paul, the human side of Paul, knew what it was like to be terrified. knew what it was like to be afraid. And instead of the Lord fussing at him for being afraid, The Lord acknowledged what was the reality of the emotion in his heart, and the Lord says to Paul, don't be afraid. Why? Why? Why should you not be afraid, Paul? Because I am here. I am here. I don't believe that Jesus was just by his spirit delivering a factual statement as if it was supposed to be locked in in Paul's brain somewhere. Oh yeah, Jesus said he was here. I believe he was talking about the manifest presence of the resurrected Christ, present with Paul. As on the day when Jesus appeared to Saul of Tarsus on the road to Damascus and and, and the, the, the light brighter than the sun, and, 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 and Saul, who art thou, Lord? That's how he responded, and he would say, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. That wasn't, an, that wasn't an intellectual concept. That wasn't a philosophical moment. That was reality, real time. He saw something. He felt something. He was smitten by it. I believe it was that Jesus who said, Paul, don't be afraid. I'm here. The same one who met you on that Damascus road, the same one who spoke to you out of the light, the same one who called your name, I am here. Folks, listen, fear, no matter what sort or type or kind or from what direction, fear has to bow its knee to the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you hear that? Do you hear? That's why we keep saying You ask the Lord by his Spirit to fill you. Lord Jesus, save me. But Lord Jesus, fill me, fill me, fill me. Some way, somehow, evidently, even Paul had found himself growing weaker, growing diminished in that boldness to keep speaking. And that's why the Lord knew it was time. Paul needed a fresh filling. What had happened in Philippi, what the Lord had done in in Thessalonica and those other places, that was good for them, But what, what Paul was needing was a Corinth filling. He was needing a Corinth experience with the presence of the living Christ. And the Lord blessed him with just what he needed. I believe... What was at the heart of the fear in Paul was the fear of the pushback. The fear of the pushback. The realizing, because it it had happened and in Thessalonica, it had happened in Philippi. You can read those read those spots. And let's just look quickly at the one, what happened to him in Philippi. This is just a couple stops before he ends up in Corinth. He, he's preaching Jesus. He's preaching the gospel. He's preaching the cross and the freedom that is found through the blood of Jesus and forgiving us. And what Paul understood was that when he preached the cross... When he preached Jesus, the power of the Holy Spirit would be released to confirm that message into the hearts of people. Not everybody would get it, but some would get it, and it would turn many times in the cities, it would become many, it would just, it would mushroom, more would hear, and more would respond, that's what I need. I need the forgiveness, I need the freedom that this Jesus, they had never heard his name before. But the power of the Spirit of Jesus blessing the message of the gospel. Christ died for our sins. He was buried. He was raised again on the third day. And because he was raised again, that means that what he did on the cross to accomplish our forgiveness, God accepted that offering was satisfied. the judgments against us. We are free through the blood of Christ. And because Jesus is raised from the dead, now he's able to pour out his spirit into those that he's forgiven to cause them to be from the top of their heads, the soles of their feet, filled with the spirit of the resurrected Christ. Paul knew when he went into a town, went into a city, and he began to preach that. The witness of the Spirit would come upon people, and they would get it. They would understand it. They would want it, and change would come. It would be the clash of kingdoms, the kingdom of light versus the kingdom of darkness, and the kingdom of darkness can put up with all kinds of things except when the kingdom of darkness begins to lose its troops, begins to lose its soldiers, and that happens when we receive Christ as Savior and Lord and Paul would say, "We are trans- Peter would say, we are transferred out of the domain of darkness and transferred into the domain of light in Jesus Christ. And Paul knew that there would be, because Satan won't stand by and take that lightly, there would be a pushback. There would be a pushback. So he preaches the gospel in Philippi and there's response. To the gospel, but then it also says in verse 22, Acts 16:22, and the crowd rose up together against them, and the chief magistrates tore their robes off of them. This would be Paul and Silas, and and proceeded to order them to be beaten with rods, and when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to guard them securely. Well, that turns into an awesome story where you remember Paul and Silas are singing in the middle of the night, singing praises under the. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full of whatever it was they were singing. I love the way the. My, my African-American brothers preach on this. They just, they just talk about that. as Paul and Silas were singing. They were tapping their foot and beat, beat to the rhythm. Rhythm and, and the angels started patting their foot to the song. And then the ground started shaking and the chains started coming loose. And, and all the prisoners were set free powerful thing happened and the jailer, you remember that story, the jailer thought he was going to be put to death because the prisoner was escaping. He was about to fall on his own sword and Paul cried out of the darkness, do yourself no harm. We're all here. And the jailer then wanted to find out more about what Paul and and Silas were doing and saying and it ended up the jailer gives his heart to Christ and his whole family come to know the Lord. But Paul carries He carries the memory of being beaten with rods in Philippi and the threat that would come upon them in Thessalonica. All of that before they get to Corinth. And I believe he's just remembering the pain of those rods, the severity of the rejection of the authorities toward them. And it could be that that was working on him. God, is it going to happen here too? Is it going to happen again here in Corinth? Pagan city. No no, no moral restraint. Except just whatever pleasure demanded, that's what you should do and have the freedom to do. And you could could worship your God by engaging with a temple prostitute, male or female. They were both in the mix. And here Paul is realizing, if I start talking about (laughs) the freedom that's in Jesus, if I start talking about folks getting washed in the blood of the lamb and getting free from the things that have held them before, folks start getting changed by the power of the presence of the living Jesus coming into them, Satan's not going to like it. His minions aren't going to like it. There are going to be some folks that were engaged in the commercial activities of the prostitution in the temple, they're going to be a factor of business being lost. And, and, and the ones who, who used to go there, they're not going to want to go there anymore because of the change in their heart. You read 1 and 2 Corinthians and you find all of these amazing statements about what Paul would say. Listen, listen, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit whom you have from God, and you are not your own. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are his. That's what he would teach. The spirit would bear witness to that. Folks would get set free. But just like happened in Philippi, it could happen again in Corinth. The pushback, the pushback. Light comes, darkness hates it. And those who are representing the Lord Jesus in ways and in times can feel the brunt of that pushback. So, to that, in the face of that, in the night, during sleep, in a vision, Jesus comes to his servant. And he doesn't fuss at him for being afraid, he doesn't say, Paul, I thought I could count on you. I thought that when I called you way back yonder, that you would understand what it meant to follow me. And he would say in Acts 9, he said this to Ananias, who who went to speak to to, to Saul of Tarsus, not yet Paul, not yet known as Paul. But he said, "You, You go, you go to him because he's a chosen vessel of mine, Saul and I will show him the things that he must suffer for my namesake. Folks, there's some folks whose platform is suffering. The platform is not business success. The platform is not sports success. The platform is not being well-known, well-loved, well-liked by everybody. The platform can be the power of God working in and through a person who is who is being allowed to, called upon to suffer greatly in the name and for the sake of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as people look at that person, that woman, that man, going through what they're going through for the sake of Christ, eyes and hearts are marveling and hearts are melting. How do they do that? How do they keep going? Why don't they quit, give up? It's been too hard for too long. But somehow Paul would rise up to say, and it would be, it's been treated over the years as the great, as the zenith of his, of of the expression of his heart, the apex of his personal theology, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering. The power of his resurrection means that Paul had come to be acquainted with places of death, with places of impossibility, with places of there's no hope except for the power of the resurrection of God to raise me up, to raise people up, and the fellowship of his suffering." Paul had come to understand that there was a place of joy that could take the place of the battle against the sense of abandonment, of the sense of rejection, when there would be that sense of the Lord Jesus Christ's presence drawing him close as he was suffering for the very same things that Jesus would suffer for. When he would bear in his body the punishment delivered because he was, he was a standard bearer for the Lord Jesus Christ. And here we find Paul in this city. And the Lord is saying, don't be afraid. Keep on speaking. No man will harm you, attack you to harm you. I am here and I have many people in this city. For Paul to understand For them to be belonging to the Lord, (laughs) it was going to mean that there's going to have to be a massive series of resurrections in that city. Those who were spiritually dead, he would say that in Ephesians 2. But you, we, all of us, dead in our trespasses and sins until God by His Spirit begins to do the work of awakening our consciences, awakening our hearts. Be drawn to love Jesus and what he did for us. Thank him, praise him, and believe in him. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection. That was his prayer. Lord, I want to be in places where I can see the power of your resurrection at work. I love seeing you win. I love seeing you raise folks who have no hope from the dead. The death of their sins and their choices and their lives. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his suffering. Even though those were passions of his life, the human side of him, just like the human side of us, we look at what is arrayed against us, or we look at what is absent in what we would hope could be sources of help and renewal and and, and, and aid, they're not there. Sometimes the Lord needs to come to us, and he will, folks. He knows right where we are. He knows when we need to hear it to be able to say, don't be afraid. I'm here. Don't be afraid. I'm here. Don't be afraid. I'm here. Look, had anything changed in the social structure of the city? Nothing. Had anything changed that had before given Paul whatever produced the spirit of fear, that attitude of fear in his heart? Had any of that changed? Nothing. No faces had changed, no city officials had changed, no culture had changed. In the face of every bit of the impossibility, the Lord brings the answer to the fear. I'm here. I'm here. you got a choice, Paul. You can keep staring at the things that have scared you, or you can recognize that I have spoken to you. Don't be And that which has caused you to be afraid, I will take care of. I will tend to. It went for Jesus to reference, no man shall attack you in order to harm you. It seems as if that could very well have been a reference to the things that had been the theme of Paul's life. Here it happens again. (laughs) I, I preach the gospel. The power of the Lord falls. Here comes suffering. Power and suffering. Power expressed, suffering endured. Power expressed, suffering endured. In this case, however, the Lord says, I'm going to stop that which has come back to you, that which you've come to be familiar with, because I know how much you can take. I I know how much to allow to touch you, and I'm stopping it. There will be no man, Come against you to attack you, for I am here, for I am here. Now, I want to, I need to lean into this, so you go on speaking. I have many people in the city, you go on speaking. In other words, part of what the Lord is saying there is that the ones who were going to come to me, the ones who were going to one day realize that they belong to me. They don't belong belong to the rest of the culture, the rest of the world. They belong to me. In order for them to get there, they're going to need to hear, Paul, what you're saying. They may not get it right now. They may not get it all at the first blush, but they will hear it. So you keep speaking. Don't let fear shut you down. You keep speaking. I want you to find the good thing about this is that we, we know a good bit of what of what Paul said to them, because you've got two books in your New Testament that are letters written to this Corinthian church. It's starting, it's initiated, it's birth in Acts chapter 18. But you find your way to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, if you would. There were probably four letters written to the Corinthians. Two, scholars believe, have been lost to history. But what we call First and Second Corinthians were two letters out of four, more than likely. But in, that, in, in those letters, Paul is very clear what it was that he was to teach, what it was that he was to speak. So if you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 17, for Christ did not send me to baptize. They, they were kind of fussing about, well, were you baptized by Apollos? Were you baptized by Timothy? Were you baptized by Paul? He says, the Lord didn't send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Not in cleverness of speech, but the cross of Christ should not be made void for the word of the cross is to those who are perishing foolishness but to us who are being saved it is the power of God what Paul understood was he would he would scatter the message he would preach the message broadly first to the Jewish synagogue then when they rejected him he would go to the Gentiles wherever he could find those who were not Jews who would listen to him and here's what he knew The ones who would receive the message of Jesus because they had been prepared, their hearts had been prepared by the Spirit to receive it, they would welcome the message of the cross. But the ones who would reject the message of the cross would be rejecting the message of rescue, salvation, and it would be to them foolishness. The preaching of the cross of Jesus would be foolishness to those who are going to walk away from the only way to escape an eternity of judgment and move into an eternity of blessing and freedom and forgiveness from the Lord. The message of the cross is foolishness, Paul would say, to those who are perishing, but to the ones who are being saved, the ones who are being forgiven. They are the ones who welcome the message of the cross. Folks just need to say this right here. It's not about what church you go to. It's not about how many thousands or pennies you've given to charitable organizations. It is whether or not you have received into your heart the message of the cross of Jesus Christ. Because the cross is the place, the only place out of all of human history where you and I will find forgiveness. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, there may be some folks hearing this for the first time, and, and, and you, as you hear it, your, your interest is perked. I want to be forgiven. I want shame to leave my life. I want guilt to be removed. How do I find that? Jesus of Nazareth died on the cross, the Roman cross, 2,000 years ago with you on his heart, with you on his mind. He knew that you and I would be coming all these centuries later and there would be places where we had broken the law of God. we would broken the heart of God by our choices. That's what's called sin. And the consequences of sin, it just increases on a regular basis, incrementally death in our lives. That The things that we would wish we could have, wish we could hang on to, somehow they seem to escape us, be taken from us. Things die because we hold on to sin. We hold on to what the Lord is saying, put Jesus on the cross. But when something happens, when our eyes begin to be, why is the symbol of the Christian church the cross? Why do you know that? Why is it that? It is because that is the core, that is at the heart of what Jesus of Nazareth came to bring, the place where you and I could be forgiven, could be set free, could be released from that which Satan, the forces of darkness, would try to bring against us. And we can, from that point on, belong to the living Christ who loves us, who will come to live inside us, and His Spirit giving us strength to change and be different. For Paul, the statement is that, that if for those who hear that, receive that, that, that that's the message of, of salvation. That's the message of a future. But ones who won't hear it, it's just foolishness to them. But he said, I just keep on preaching it. I just keep on preaching it. I just keep on declaring that Jesus, the gospel, he died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried. He was raised again on the third day. I just keep on speaking the gospel of Jesus Christ. Some would say it's so, it's so simple, it's so foolish. But when the spirit of Jesus causes those words to take root in your heart, it ceases to be foolish It ceases to be that which you realize you want to lash your hopes to. My hope is in what Jesus did for me, not in what I can do to try to make up for the stuff that I've done wrong. That will never work. The cross of Jesus was a waste. If there was any way that we could work our way into favor with God apart from what Jesus has done for us. He spoke it with gladness. He spoke it with hope. No matter where he went, no matter what the culture would be or what was going on, he he would just speak it like you and I are called to speak it, regardless of who the object, who, who the destination would be for our speaking, the message is the same. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Paul kept preaching that, kept speaking that, kept talking about that. Look down at at chapter 2, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1. When I came to you, brethren, I did not come with superiority of speech or of wisdom, proclaiming to you the testimony of God. For I determined to know nothing among you except Christ, except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my message and my preaching we're not in persuasive words of wisdom but in demonstration of the spirit and of power so that your faith should not rest on the wisdom of god wisdom of man but on the power of god so that your faith should not rest on the wisdom of man but on the power of God. Now, let me show you another verse. If you, if, you found, if you went on to the book of 2 Corinthians and you looked at chapter 12 and verse 12, you would find these words spoken. Among you, the signs of a true apostle have been performed among you with all perseverance by signs and wonders and miracles. By signs and wonders and miracles. I want to stay with me, folks. I realize I'm talking to a bunch of folks who have been raised, maybe brought up in American evangelicalism. And for many of us, that's where we came to know Jesus. That's how we were first introduced to the message of the cross and the power of his resurrection. But I'm sad to say that for many of us from our backgrounds, we we miss this other side of the speaking of the gospel which is the demonstrating of the gospel. What do I mean by that? You can't separate in the New Testament the declaration of the gospel, who Jesus is, what he did, and that that, that is for those who would believe. You can't separate that verbal message from the demonstration message. Some folks are going to need To be convinced that it really is true that Jesus was raised from the dead and that he's alive and that he's here right now and that what he did before he can do again today and he can do it in your life and he can do the impossible just as he did back then. Somehow we've missed it that all we have at our disposal is to declare the truths of the gospel. Christ died for our sins. Thank you, Lord. He was buried. He was raised again on the third day. But the apostle Paul, as Jesus instructed him to do, don't be silent. You keep on speaking the words that I have given you to speak. You keep on speaking the words. Well, a part of the words that he was declaring must have been when somebody was sick, he prayed for them. When somebody was in confusion or somebody needed some demonic stuff broken off of them or somebody needed a heart to be healed, a broken heart to be healed, he would pray in the name of Jesus, Lord, that one needs to be convinced. That one needs something in their lives. That will prove to them that these are not just idle words. This is not just another option and a pantheon of God options. You are real. You are powerful. And you are demonstrating your presence in their hearts and in their lives by doing this thing. Today we live in an age where we got medicines for everything. Almost everything. We've got treatments and surgery. So there can be this sense of, well, I, you know, we don't need the medical Miracles, because we got stuff we can take. True. Only problem is medicine can't fix everything broken in a human heart. Medicine can't bring a son back, a daughter back. Medicine can't open the eyes of a runaway husband, a runaway wife. Nobody can do that except Jesus. He said, I came to seek and to save that which was lost. And he's still doing it. Folks, I want to tell you, I believe what Paul was commissioned here to do was to be in Corinth, to be encouraged that the Lord was with him, that that would would dissipate the fears that were trying to shut him down, and that he was told, you keep speaking, Paul. You keep speaking. And a part of the speaking was telling the full story of the gospel the full story of the gospel is that, yes, he died on the cross. Yes, he was buried. Yes, he was raised for our justification, meaning that we are, our forgiveness is proven in the fact that Jesus was raised from the dead. But then also that he was exalted to the right hand of the Father, Acts 2, Peter preaching. And from that place, Jesus has poured forth his spirit into his people. And Jesus would say, truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, shall he do also. And greater works than these shall he do. You've got somebody that you've been sharing your faith with. You're standing in a place feeling maybe all alone in a company. In a setting, in a situation, and you've sought for there to be those private places and times, not on company time, where you're, you're you're sharing what Jesus has done for you. Don't be talking church. Don't be talking. Well, you just need to come to my church. That may be the last place they need to be. What they need is Jesus. What they need is Jesus. They don't need a lecture on morality. They need Jesus to set them free from the bondage that has caused them to be caught by those things. I don't believe when Paul went to Corinth, he set out to try to talk about how wicked the Corinthian temple was. He just preached Jesus and the hope that is in the power of the cross that your life can be changed and your sins can be set free and the bondage of darkness can be broken Regardless of where folks are, they come to the light. They come to the light. They come to the light of the hope that is in Christ. So Paul, that's how Paul would preach. That what he would declare, and I believe that there were attesting signs and wonders and miracles. Paul would say that you you were not absent the benefit of the presence of any true apostle. Because what happened through me, same thing would happen through Peter and others. Signs and wonders and attesting miracles. Signs and wonders and attesting miracles. Signs and wonders and attesting miracles. In the place where the Lord has assigned you, in that Corinth that he's put you in, he'll give you one, he'll give you another, he may give you another. And there may be expected, child of God, expected sheep of the Lord Jesus, that you will hear his voice when he quickens in your heart, you ask me to do this. You pray for that to be done. You know what will happen? They'll wake you up with a text or a phone call. You're not going to believe this. What you prayed for, what you told me you were praying for, Something's going on. Something is happening. Do you see that? Folks, listen. The Lord knows what it's going to take to convince people that he is who he claims to be. The Lord knows we're not going to just get that convincing just by reading the pages of Scripture. We're going to need some things experientially to convince us. Not everybody necessarily needs that, but I guarantee you Saul needed it. Simon Peter needed it. You say, oh, what about that? I don't know about that. Well, I'm glad you brought that up. Jesus had healed everybody in Simon Peter's backyard from dark till daylight the next morning. And Simon Peter thought that was great, thought that was good, but it hadn't hit him. But then there came the day when Jesus, by the Sea of Galilee, and Peter and his guys were washing their nets, finished up a long day and long night, hadn't caught a minnow, hadn't caught a crawfish. And Jesus says, if you'll push back out into the deep water, you'll catch a fish. Simon Peter, because of his history, he had seen the Lord do things, but he'd been doing things for other people. It wasn't the button pushing in his heart to convince him that Jesus of Nazareth was more than a man. But when Jesus got in that boat and they pushed out, and they lowered that net down, and that thing got so heavy, instantaneous, they could hardly pull it up tump the boat over, getting the fish in. He says that he got on his knees in his boat, and he said, Depart from me, for I am a wicked man. And from that point, From that point, Peter's heart, though though still a human, still a man, still strong will, still still all of the things that, that he would have to deal with, but something changed in his heart. He knew Jesus was real. He knew Jesus was able. He knew Jesus would do what he said he would do because he did something for Peter in his own boat, in his own lake, in a spot that he hadn't caught a perch all night. Folks, Step into that. I'm not asking to start praying. God give them give them a million dollars, give them a new Maserati, give them a give them give them. A. I'm talking about that. I'm talking about matters of the heart. Jesus said, "I have many people in this city." Paul, you keep preaching, you keep speaking. I believe you keep praying. You keep speaking what I give you to speak. You keep praying what I tell you to and they'll come, and they'll come. Who, who is it, who are they that you feel like? You, you, as you hear this right now, you, Lord, they just need some help believing. Huh? They just need some help. Instead of us thinking, no, we've got to just make everybody just, they got to get it straight from the Scripture, and, and, and there shouldn't be any doubt. Paul would say we're dead in our trespasses and sin. How is somebody dead going to be able to show any sign of spiritual life? For somebody to say, I've always loved the Lord. No, you haven't. If that's true, the Bible is incorrect. You're wrong. The Bible is right. There may have always been a sense of a heart that would, that would be open to things the Lord because you've been encouraged along that line. For Paul to say, and you were spiritually dead in your trespasses, that that means we don't have the power to believe without Jesus working in us. We don't have the power to change without Jesus working in us. We don't have the power to love unselfishly, unconditionally, continuously without the life of Jesus. But God, being rich in mercy, he continues in Ephesians 2, he quickened us. With the life of His Spirit, beginning, giving us the beginning signs of being able to love and our heart being warmed and being able to forgive and being able to to give generously. It's the work of the Spirit, it's the gathering work of the Spirit. And we have the right, as those who seek to partner with Him in the cities and the places, Where the Lord has set us, and we would believe that if if He is here and He's put us there, there are many who were yet to know Him, but He knows who they are as He brings them to us. We share the message of the cross, the message of the resurrection, the message of the hope that the Lord will pour out His Spirit and fill us, enabling us to be and do what we couldn't be from the inside out. And then if they need it, Lord, show them. Lord, show them. I I have come to regularly when I'm talking to folks that they're trying to find the Lord. They're they're wanting, it sounds good to them, but they're not really sure they can believe. I, I find, so just encourage them. You pray. Lord, prove to me that you're real. Prove to me that you're real. You say, well, they hadn't repented. They hadn't joined a church. They hadn't given any money to the church. Okay, so how many in the Gospels did Jesus heal? Restoring sight, giving the ability to walk, even perhaps raising from the dead in a case or two who even knew his name. This thing of we got to work to the place of being able to deserve a miracle from God. Try that, try that with the gospels. Over and over and over again, Jesus just blessed people. He fed those 5,000, that little old boy, five five loaves and two fish. He didn't ask for them to, will you confess me as Savior and Lord first? Will you come and be baptized? Will you give to my ministry? No. They were hungry. His heart was stirred by their hunger and their need, and he just blessed them. So instead of us trying to figure out, well, what category, what category, how can I really, just go ahead and pray like Jesus would bless. Lord, you know this is what they need. You know they need something to convince you, convince them that you are real. I'm asking you to cause that boy they hadn't heard from for five years to call him. I'm asking, Lord, to break through whatever this thing is that's causing them to be so trapped, so bound up by the drugs that have just encompassed their lives. Lord, I'm asking you to give them, give them a shiver of hope. Give them a light. Do something that isn't normal, that isn't ordinary, that isn't darkness. Show them, Lord. Show them, Lord. Truly, truly, I say to you, John 14, 12. Know this is in your book. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, shall he or she do also, and greater works than these shall he do, because I go to the Father. Yes, we are to stay in the places where he's planted us. Yes, we are to speak his word, the message of the cross, the message of hope. But yes, when the Lord shows you a need in the life of somebody, he may quicken you. He may speak to you and don't think it's the devil or you're just making it up. The devil wouldn't want you praying for somebody who needs a breakthrough. You say, well, who am I? Who am I? Let me tell you who you are. (laughs) Since you brought that up, let me tell you who you are. If you have received Jesus Christ into your heart as Savior and Lord, and you know that he lives in you, you have been chosen you have been adopted, you have been forgiven, you have been redeemed, you have been, you, have been, you have been placed, and you have been called, and you are the object of the filling of his life in you. That's who you are. Get your uniform on. Get your uniform on. And stand in that place where he's called you. Lord, you chose me. I didn't choose this. You adopted me into the family with full authority of every member of your family. You've forgiven me. You've called me. I'm asking you to fill me so that I'll know how to stand and who to pray for and what to say and how to be. Hold on. It's coming. Hold on. It's coming. I have many people in this city, Paul, you hold on. It's coming. I know who they are. You don't. I see them, and you don't. But I saw, I saw the Red Sea parted when I told Moses to lift up the rod of God over the Red Sea. I saw the walls of Jericho down. When I told Joshua, you circled the city. I saw Daniel walking out of the lion's den. All Daniel saw was going in. I saw Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego coming out of the fire. I saw Lazarus walking out of the grave. I have many people in this city. You stay. You pray. You speak. You hold on. It's coming. Somebody say amen, will you? Let it be. Don't shy away. Don't shy away from asking the Lord for signs and wonders and attesting miracles. That won't necessarily be the substitute for our speaking the truth of the gospel. It's not to be a substitute, but it is to be a complementary aspect of Lord, I'm, I'm asking you this morning that wherever anybody listening today needs something materially, physically, observable, measurable, touchable, to prove you're real and that you are standing at the door of their heart. Maybe a child of God, someone discouraged, hurt, heartbroken. Lord, would you do like with Paul in this case? He needed something, Lord. He needed something from you to be able to keep going in confidence and not quit and you caused him to know your presence. I'm asking you for attesting miracles, signs and wonders unique to the person to prove that you are real and that you love them and that they matter to you and that all the hope that they've ever needed is to be found in Jesus. Persuade us, Lord. You know what it is going to take to persuade us to follow you more closely. Apart from you, you've said we can't do anything. We accept that. Apart from you, we can do nothing. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name. And the Lord's people said, Amen. The Lord calls us to be something more than we can just be in our natural selves. He calls us to stand in places of impossible opposition overwhelming opportunities because he knows that in that place of desperation we are going to seek him like never before so it's good and it's right and it's it's his plan receive it instead of complaining about it instead of trying to run from it instead of trying to hand it off to somebody else own it, where he puts you, own it Lord you know I can't do this Jesus would say, absolutely, absolutely, and that's why you're there. (laughs) Because I want you to see where you can't. I can, and I will, and I see breakthroughs and blessings and multiplication that you can't see. You trust me. You keep speaking the word. You keep praying my heart for people, and you watch. Hold on. It's coming. Would you stand with me, those of you who are here in this house? brothers and sisters that are part of our streaming family bless you for stepping in, tuning in so many of you all over the place are just so faithful and we bless you. Pastor Walker at OliveCity.org. if there is a prayer need in your life that we can pray with you about we'd love to do it we take that very seriously and with joy to pray with you just bless you those of you who are able to do it for your financial help, support, encouragement things that we're able to do directly because of your obedience that we could never even consider apart from your help. So thank you. Be blessed. May the Lord return a thousandfold what you've given in this direction here in this room and those who are part of our our extended family. You know, I look forward to the day when we're going to be able to say, would you step across the aisle? join hands and put your arms around the necks so of somebody came. Not doing that yet. Not doing want everybody to be at peace or whatever. You're doing. But that, that day is coming. I just love seeing you. Love seeing your faces. What a gift. What a gift. We're going to sing Ab as we, as we finish. And prayer partners if you'll join us here. And, and if, if you're in this house and we can pray with you. Pray to receive Jesus as Savior and Lord for His mercy and forgiveness. So there's a need in your That we can pray with you about. We'd love to do that. God bless you. God bless you.